Well, the word free, there's kind of something in us when we see that word put on a poster or something that kind of stirs up something in us or gets us excited. There, for some reason, that word is just like, oh, I'm, I'm attracted to that or I'm interested in that. And just this morning, I was out walking. There's a bunch, a bunch of stuff on the side of the road. You know, a bunch of stuff really probably don't need, but free, all capital letters on it. So I'm like, oh, okay. And you started looking over it, and some of it was, I was actually going to ask Katie about it, and then I forgot to. But there's some plastic bins, and I was like, well, we need some plastic bins for Hudson's clothes. And I was like, they say weird things on them, like people, other people's names, we can cross those out. But it's like, free, why wouldn't I take a chance at it? And free, it's a powerful word, and actually a lot of advertisers, um, I was just like, Googling free, how advertisers use free, and there's this list of like top 20 words advertisers use um, to get us to like pay attention to their ads, and free is one of them. It's just like something that attracts us, um, and maybe sometimes we get nervous when somebody says something is free, but it's this powerful word, um, and getting something for free is a powerful experience. And I was thinking about, have any of you ever been the recipient of the, like the pay it forward thing, where you're like at a drive-through, and you come up to pay for your food, Caleb says yes, and then somebody says, oh, the person in front of you has actually already paid for whatever you're going to order, and so you know, whatever, everything you got is free. It's on, it's on them. They already paid for it. Um, and it's, it's happened to me maybe like once or twice where it's like, hey, I'm through the, getting in the Starbucks drive-thru, and you're like ordering, you know, this is my drink I want, my favorite drink, and then you get up to the thing, you're getting your money out, and then it's like, oh, no, you don't, you don't have to pay for it. Like somebody else already did it. And, um, it's a it's a cool it's a cool feeling if that's ever happened to you. But so just imagine that you're in that situation uh, where somebody did that pay it for the person in front of you has already paid for it, and so you get it, and all of a sudden you ha- you're getting this thing for free that you didn't expect, um, or any other situation, and they get something for free. And let's brainstorm. Um, how does it feel um, when you're given something for free, like in that situation, if you're in a drive-through and the person in front of you, like what feelings does that create in you? Blessed. You feel blessed? Mm-hmm. What, are we, what are we talking about? Hmm? I heard it, but then it didn't go through my mind. That's fine. So if you were in the situation where you were in the drive-thru and you get up to the window and they're like, oh, actually the person in front of you already paid for your meal, it's free, what feelings would, would you have uh, in that situation? Joy. Joy. Obligated. That's why I'm... Oh, obligated. That's why, why that one? Because I pay for the guy behind me then. Oh. I don't so. take it, I just pass it. So you might want to pass it. So maybe obligated could be one, but it's also like maybe you wouldn't be like, oh, now I feel guilty. Or I maybe feel guilty. I just, just, I feel, just like feel it's my job. I don't need it. Yeah. So pass it on. Obligated to pass it on. It kind of makes us want to bless other people. Okay. Any other feelings that occur when somebody gives you something for free, like a gift? Undeserved. Undeserved. Excited. Excited. Makes you feel special. Special. This is kind of like undeserved, but like, why? Why me? Like, what did I do? I mean. Mm-hmm. Gratitude. Gratitude. What made them want to do that? Why'd they do that? Yeah. Yeah. 
maybe there's other things that we come up with. And I was trying to think like, what are situations where I've been like really surprised? And another one could be like, if you're at a restaurant and you you know order all this stuff, and then somebody's like, oh, you know, the person at the bar paid for your tab or whatever, and it's like, oh, really? Like, you know, I don't have to pay for this meal or whatever. It could be another situation where you're like surprised by somebody's generosity. And as we're continuing. Um, beginning the journey home in the book of Genesis. Last week we finished the life of Abraham um, and we followed his journey of learning to trust God in any and every circumstance um, through life. And this week the curtain is closed on that first act uh, in Genesis, this unfolding story of how, how is God going to bring humanity home. And in that first act we saw God wants to bring bless Abraham's family so that they can be a blessing to the rest of the world. And the characters of Act 1 um, have now taken their bow and, you know, we kind of had like our little intermission or whatever, you know, this theater went dark. And now the curtain's opening on a new set of characters that we're, are going to start bringing this story um, further along. And we've already met one of them, one of the characters. It's going to be Abraham's son, Isaac. Um, but he's not the only folks of the story. And in fact, he quickly fades to the background. The main characters that are going to be on the stage for the next several chapters are Jacob and Esau, uh, Isaac's two sons. And God made promises to Abraham, but now those promises are hand, being handed down to Abraham's sons and then Abraham's grandsons. And the big question this passage answers is, um, how do God's blessings come to us? How do God's blessings come to us? How do God's blessings come to us? And we'll cover this passage in two parts, and we're just going to quickly go over chapter 25. There's a lot that we could say there, um, but this is, there's like two chapters where Isaac really gets any attention, so, and it's chapter 26 and chapter 27, and then he kind of goes to the background, and then the rest of it is Jacob and Esau. So we get this little intro to Jacob and Esau. Um, in chapter 25, we re read the words in verse 19, that Lowell read for us. Now these are the generations of Isaac. And back in chapter 11, right at the end of it, we heard, now these are the generations of Terah, um, and then from chapter 12 to chapter 25, the focus was on one of Terah's sons, Abraham. And with this new section, it's now the generations of Isaac. And again, it's going to be focused on one of his sons, mainly um, Jacob. So it's this big new section in Genesis. And we're told that Isaac was 40 years when he married his wife, Rebecca. Um, we met her back in chapter 24. And sadly, um, they're married, but they're unable to get pregnant. And that should sound familiar. Abraham and Sarah were unable to get pregnant. Um, but whereas barrenness... And infertility was a big struggle in Abraham and Sarah's story. It's quickly solved, in, or I mean quickly solved at least in the book of Genesis. It takes 20 years of marriage before they have a kid. But it's quickly solved in the book of Genesis um, because Isaac prays for his wife and God answers his prayer and enables Rebecca to get pregnant um, when he's 60. So they got married when he was 40 and 60. And it tells us that she's going to give birth to two sons, um, Jacob and Esau, and she's they're having, it feels like there's this like wrestling match going on in her womb. And she's like, what's up, God? What's going on here? Why is this happening to me? And he's like, well, there's two nations in your womb. Um, there's two kids in there, and they're going to kind of be divided. And the, old, the older is actually going to serve the younger. It's kind of like this reversal of roles, because the older should be the one that's the head of the family after the father's gone. But uh, God says there's going to be this reversal here. And the other thing we learn is these two are they're almost exact opposites. Esau is this kind of rugged guy. He's a hunter, and Jacob really likes him because he likes to eat what Esau uh, kills out in the field hunting. And then Jacob is quiet, and he stays at home in the tents, and Rebecca really, really loves him. And so there's almost like 
this dual household in some ways where they're favoring their kids. Um, and then we, and it's setting us up for there's going to be um, this sort of rivalry, rivalry and conflict between these two throughout their lives, and that's what's going to be uh, occupy a lot of the next several chapters. But let's reread verses 29 through 34 of chapter 25. They grow up, um, and these chapters we get, or these verses we get a glimpse of what's this relationship going to be like, and what's this character of these two kids. So, verse 29, chapter 25. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew. Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Perhaps one of the worst cases of buyer's remorse um, in, in history. Um, but because as, as the firstborn, Esau, um, he had this birthright, which would have meant um, he would get a double portion of the inheritance, and his other brothers would get just a single portion. So his birthright was, I want to be the head of the family, I'm going to get this double portion um, of the inheritance that my dad's going to give to all of us. But in the case of Abraham's family, um, Abraham is chosen by God. His family is going to be a blessing to the world. They're going to inherit the land of Canaan. They're going to become numerous, a, a nation with as many kids as the stars and the sand and the seashore. Um, and so he would also was going to be the, the heir, um, inherit God's promises. Just like God said to Isaac, Abraham's son, that he's going to inherit um, God's promises to Abraham, we would expect Esau to now inherit God's promises from Isaac. And God's promises will continue Esau after Isaac's death, but Esau comes in from exhausted, uh, comes in from hunting exhausted, and he sells his birthright away for what? It says a piece of bread and some lentil stew, some hot beans, I mean, you know, whatever, <laughs> like that's what he sells his birthright for, and he says, I'm about to die, of what use is a birthright to me? And it's quite an exaggeration, um, like when we say, I'm starving, um, when we're just, you know, actually, I'm just a little hungry. I'm not starving. He's like, I'm just exhausted. I'm going to die. What good is this birthright to me? And Esau settles for instant gratification, and he sells his birthright for this lentil stew. And and maybe we can understand uh, uh, selling it for some, you know, broccoli cheddar from Panera. That could have made sense to me. No, that still wouldn't make sense. But we're seeing, like, this instant gratification. Like, I'm going to look at some hot bean soup lentil stew so we see the character of Esau, he completely undervalues the promises and blessings of God. And, but we also see the character of Jacob, because he's sitting there, his brother comes in exhausted, he's stirring his stew, smelling it, and his brother's like, I just need some food. And instead of sharing it, being generous, being loving, giving away a little stew, he's like, sell me your birthright if you want some stew. And it's like, maybe we would you know, joke about things like that, but he's like, serious. He's like, I, well, you know what good is it to me? Just give me the stew. He's like, swear to me, you're going to sell it to me. He's like, fine. You know, gives him over the stew. And so we see Jacob lives true to his name. The word Jacob, he comes out holding his brother's heel, and he's like this person that grasps for things. And he's kind of grasping his brother and pulling him down. And so he's living true to his name. Um, he's grasping his brother's heel, and here he grasps onto him and buys his birthright. And so with these two characters introduced, um, keep them in mind because at, in chapter 27, they're going to really come um, focus. Chapter 26 now, we focus on Isaac. And this is really more of background for this conflict that's going to be happening with Jacob and Esau um, for quite a few chapters of Genesis. 
And so chapter 26, if some, if some of these events sound a, like a lot what happens to Abraham, um, that's because they do happen to Abraham. Abraham also experiences a famine. Abraham also lies about his wife being his, his sister. Abraham also talks with Abimelech, king of Gerar. And Abraham also forms a treaty with Abimelech about wells. And as we go through life, sometimes um, people, uh, skeptical scholars, will look and be like, oh, these are just kind of like repeats. And obviously, you know, somebody uh, is not being, being very careful to history because these same events wouldn't happen over and over again. I mean, but think about how many events in your life happen over and over and over and over again. Um, just uh, yesterday, or no, t Friday, some dude from Direct Energy comes up to my door and knocks on it and asks me about switching over my ComEd supplier of electricity and gas over to Direct Energy because it'll save me all this money. And it's like, you guys were here a couple months ago. And he's like, really? Huh, we were? And I go look back at my records because now I'm starting to keep track to figure out what is going on with these people. But it's like, I keep having this same conversation with a different person saying the same thing and offering me the same answers. And it's like, we repeat the same events in life oftentimes. And sometimes we often repeat the, the experiences of our parents as well. Like, oh, they went through this and I go through it too. Uh, but the author of this book, Moses, you know, he's not a dummy. He's putting these things in parallel so we can see what are the similarities between Abraham and Isaac and what are the differences between them as they go through these similar experiences. So in verse 1, we're told there's a famine. And Abraham experienced a famine right when he came to the land of Canaan. He, God's like, leave Haran and go to Canaan. I'm going to give you this land. Shows up in Canaan, there's a famine. Sweet God, uh, this is real great. You brought me to a place where there's a famine, there's no food. Um, so he goes down to Egypt to survive it. And so perhaps Isaac, it seems like he has the same idea, but God stops <coughs> him before he gets as far south as Egypt. He only goes to Gerar near the Mediterranean Sea. And then verse 2 says this in chapter 6. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. In your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So whereas in the time of famine, um, when Abraham left Canaan, now uh, Isaac's being told, no, stay where you are. Do not leave the land that I promised you. Don't go down to Egypt. And this is his first step of faith. Well, I trust God to provide my daily food, to survive when there's no food around. Um, think about the Lord's Prayer where it's like, you know, Lord, give us our daily bread um, is one of the things. So he will he trust God for his daily bread. And then God confirms I'm going to give you the same promises that I said I was going to give to your father. Now they're being passed down to you. And he's going to bless Isaac and his descendants. And he says, that oath I made to your dad, um, that's in effect for you because it was an oath for his kids. And God says, I'm going to multiply your offspring. They're going to be as numerous as the stars. I'm going to give you this land of Canaan. And he says, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing to all the other nations, families of the earth. Why? Verse 5 says, because Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And this verse tells us two important truths. And the first is, Isaac is blessed because of someone else's obedience. Isaac is blessed because of someone else's obedience. And this is sort of like the pay it forward scenario. What did Isaac do for this blessing? Uh, nothing. If you're going through the drive-thru, what did you do for this meal, this cup of coffee? 
nothing. The person who was in line before you um, paid for it. And so Isaac is blessed because of someone else's obedience. Abraham obeyed God's voice. And now Isaac is receiving this amazing gift totally paid for. And so I, would, I just kept thinking, like, how would this feel? How would Isaac feel to receive these great promises from God for free? Somebody else paid for these. Here they are. Wait, what did I do for these? Well, nothing. What's the catch? Nothing. What do I have to do for them? Nothing. It's free. Somebody else already paid for this. And you know, I just kept trying to think, how would that change his life? And the, you think about some of these words um, we wrote up here, like, You'd think you'd feel blessed, joy, excited, special, undeserving, obligated to pass on. I'm blessed to be a blessing. Or in, in thinking like, well, well, why me? Why should this come to me? I have to do nothing for it. You know, just free in all capital letters written across this thing God wants to do in his life. So that's the first thing. Isaac is blessed because of someone else's obedience. Second, God is gracious in his assessment of Abraham. God is gracious in his assessment of Abraham. And in this verse, it's like Abraham's already died, and I would wonder how many times in the Bible do we get to hear God's assessment, like his eulogy for a person. You know, somebody's died and they've walked with them, and then God's assessment of, of what their life was like. And here we see God's assessment of Abraham and what he thinks of Abraham. He says, uh, Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept, he did all these things. And it's true, Abraham obeyed his voice. He did keep his charge. He did keep his commandments, his statutes, and his laws most of the time. And go read through. I mean, we just did the uh, recap of Abraham's life last week. Read through chapters 12 um, through 25 in Genesis. Abraham was far from perfect, and yet God gives him this assessment. Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept, all my, he kept my commandments, my laws, my statutes. And I don't know about you, but um, I, if you're like me, I often feel like I'm never measuring up. Like, I just cannot do enough. Um, I've never done enough, and what I have done isn't good enough. And that's how I often feel um, going through life. And it's like, I could always do better. I could always obey God more. I could always do more for God. I could always love Katie more. I could always love Hudson more. I could always love God's people more. And this verse encourages me because it tells me this. Because God is gracious, he is pleased with less than perfect obedience. Because God is gracious, he's pleased with less than perfect obedience. And God desires full obedience for sure. Um, he wants that from Abraham. He wants that from us. He wants us to keep all of his instructions and all of his commands. He doesn't want us to ever say no to him. Um, you know, that's what you know, that's one of the worst words when kids learn to say no. It's like, oh gosh, they're saying no to the things I'm asking. And we say no to God all the time. And so God wants us to always say yes to him. He wants us to do everything he asks. And Abraham is no bump on the log. On the log. It's not like God is like, okay, my, you know, Abraham, like you really blew it uh, in everything and you didn't really care about me, but I'm still going to like give you this positive assessment of your life. No, he was no bump on the log. Like he was doing costly things um, that were sacrificial and risky for him, but he was also imperfect. And yet God's assessment of his life is Abraham obeyed my voice. And so uh, it's encouraging to me that because God's gracious, he's pleased with less than perfect obedience. And uh, one of the, a good way you can summarize a life of faith is what I was just saying. It's saying yes um, to God. We're imperfect, but we're saying yes to God as much as possible. Um, we never, we try not to say no to him. We're just always saying yes as much 
Even if we're imperfect, that's what a life of faith looks like. And you see that in Abraham. Like he's trying to say yes as much as he can. Sometimes he doubted, sometimes he struggled with that, but he's trying to say yes even though he was imperfect. And this whole thing looks back to chapter 22. And another thing to remember about Abraham's story is um, when, do you remember when he was declared righteous? When did God count him as righteous? When did that happen? You remember when it was Abraham did blank and it was counted to him as righteousness. When did that happen? When he believed. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness in Genesis chapter 15. And so even before 22, when Abraham has this huge test of faith and shows he fears God above all else, um, Abraham was already counted righteous. And so um, we're, we are covered by God's gift of righteousness through our faith in him even when we fail to live a righteous life in full obedience, always obeying his voice. Um, so that's God's gift to us. So let's continue the story. Verse 6 tells us Isaac listened to God's voice. Um, he settles in Gerar. But like Abraham, he's afraid that the men there are going to kill him um, because of his wife, because she's attractive in appearance, it says. And so he's like, they're going to kill me and take my wife away. And so he says, she's my sister. Um, and for Abraham, we learned eventually there was only a half lie. He's like, well... Uh, you know, she's the daughter of my mom, but not of my dad. So, like, she's kind of like my sister. So it's not a full lie. For Isaac, it's just totally untrue, not even close to his sister. Um, and the king sees them fooling around together physically. And the, the euphemism here is they're laughing together, um, which is a, a, you know, a, a kind of cleaned up way of saying they're fooling around together physically. Um, and he calls him in to rebuke him and says, you just put us in this position to commit a great sin. What if somebody would take in your wife and said, like, oh, I want her to be my wife and goes and slept with her. Like, we would have committed adultery. And so like his father, when Isaac fears other people, he fails to be a blessing to them. And Abimelech, he lets him stay and protects him, says no one's going to, if anybody touches you, they're going to be put to death. Like he puts protection over him. And then verse 12 says he plants crops and he reaps a hundredfold, which if you're know anything about farming a hundred fold of what you put in the ground um, is a really awesome return and so in the midst of this famine it's been a bit of time so maybe the famine's going on maybe not but in the midst of these people God's like stay put there's this famine you don't have to go down to Egypt like I'm going to take care of you I'm going to be with you and then look he, he plants and he gets all this food at a time when there's a shortage of food and he gets increased in these other possessions and the Philistines say okay you become too mighty um, you got to move on so he's searching for this place to settle. He tries one well that's been kind of plugged up, so he digs it out again. The Philistines come, and they're like, hey, uh, we're going to take over this well, and they quarrel over it. So he's like, okay, fine. Moves on to another one, does the same thing. They come, quarrel over it. He has to move on again. Finally, he finds a place where they leave him alone. He settled down. Um, he goes to Beersheba, uh, a place that his dad lived. And then verse 24, chapter 26, says, says this. Uh, the Lord appeared to him. On the same night, and said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Fear not, for I'm with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants um, dug a well. And so God appears to him once again, confirms the promises of him. And in the midst of all these quarrels with this other nation, it might be like, okay, what is going to happen here? Are we going to like get in this fight? Are we going to be at war? And God says... Same thing he told Abraham in Genesis 15. Fear not. And he might be afraid that these guys are going to come attack him. But even though things maybe aren't going as he, like, as he likes, God is with him. 
and he's going to bless them and multiply his offspring. You're not going to be snuffed out here. You're going to have offspring that are going to become numerous, and it's going to all be for Abraham's sake, based on Abraham's obedience. And so he's saying, remember, Isaac, your future is bought and paid for by the person that came in line before you. And so Isaac builds this altar and worships, and then shortly after, um, big threat comes on the horizon. And it doesn't sound like they came with an army, but Abimelech and then his advisor and his commander, his army come, and it's like, oh gosh, what's going to happen now? And it's good to keep in the back of his mind. God said, fear not, it's going to be all right. Um, finally, Abimelech is recognizing God's hand is on Isaac's life. He recognized in Abraham's life, finally he's recognizing in Isaac's life, and he's like, hey, um, I want to come talk about this. And Isaac, first, he's, of course, a little bit like, what's going on? He says to him, why have you come to me? seeing that you hate me and sent me away from you. And then their response is in verse 28. They say, Well, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have done nothing to you, nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and departed from him in peace. And that same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We found water, and he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So now the Philistines are recognizing. God said back in Genesis 12, Those who curse you or disdain you are not going to be blessed. Those who bless you, they're going to be blessed. And so now the Philistines are responding to Isaac on the way that they're supposed to respond to Abraham's family. And so returning to our big question, how do God's blessings come to us? How do God's blessings come to us? And there's three answers that are true for Isaac and that are also true for us. And so along with uh, Isaac's uh, family, we're, all of us are part of Abraham's family by faith. That's what Genesis 3 says. And so now we're blessed to be a blessing. So how do those blessings come to us? And there's three ways. By God's grace, by God's promises, and by someone else's obedience. So the first, by grace. By God's grace. The blessings that come into Isaac's life, both material and spiritual, are totally by God's grace. And grace means undeserved favor or unmerited favor, unworked for favor, unearned favor. It's free. It means that you didn't work for it. It's not your wages. It's not what you do. It's not what you're owed. Um, it's free. It comes to you unearned, unmerited, uh, undeserved. And Isaac did nothing for what God has given him. And yet, he has it all anyway. And even the fact that Isaac's family has been chosen for God's special purposes is grace because none of them deserve it. We know that Abraham doesn't deserve it. We saw that throughout his life. And it's so, also true of us. Just, just God allowing us to have breath in our lungs on this earth is his undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. Because remember back at the flood, and God's like, you know, what you deserve is to be wiped out. We're all citizens of God's kingdom who have said, you know what, I'd rather kind of go my own way and follow my own rules, and I'll break yours and follow yours when I feel like it. Um, and I don't fully trust you all the time. That doesn't sound like a great relationship with a king um, who owns your life and owns everything. And so just the fact that we're allowed to remain in God's creation, that he set up as his kingdom, um, is his grace to us. We're all citizens in rebellion against him, um, and he still allows us to enjoy the material benefits. But even when we believe the good news about Jesus, Ephesians 1 tells us we get all these spiritual benefits. It says every 
spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. How many? How many are withheld? None. Every spiritual blessing is given to us in Christ. And there is defined as we're adopted into God's family. God now calls us his beloved children. And at the same time, forgiveness um, is never runs out. Forgiveness is provided through Jesus. Any, once you're in God's family, any wrong you ever do is covered by Jesus. You can be forgiven and set free from it. And at the same time, we're given the Holy Spirit to guide us and comfort us and to remind us as we go through life, hey, you're God's child. All these truths um, are real for you. And Ephesians 1 said, this is all a display of his glorious grace to us. So first, God's blessings come by God's grace. Second, the blessings that come into Isaac's life are by God's promises. By God's promises. God made oaths and promises to Abraham and he isn't going to break those. And all throughout Old Testament history, God is making these promises. And the Second Corinthians tells us all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. He fulfills every single one. In the little uh, children's Bible they're using in the next room, it divides the Old Testament and the New Testament. It calls the Old Testament promises made. It calls the New Testament promises kept because every single thing God promised finds their ultimate fulfillment um, in Jesus. God kept every single promise. And... We've talked a little bit about this um, before, um, but those blessings we receive, they're a little bit different than Abraham and Isaac's um, because there are physical, but they're different spiritual ones because they're promised this physical land that they're going to inherit. Um, they're promised um, lots of kids, fruitful, multiply. Um, but God gives us different promises because we have, uh, you can think of it in, in three uh, past, present, future. So we're saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved from the presence of sin. I can write those up here, actually. Maybe they'd be helpful. Um, so, past, we're saved from the penalty of every single sin. And this is called forgiveness. Every sin you ever commit um, can be forgiven um, by God. And so we've saved from the penalty of sin. That's one of the promises um, God gives us through Jesus. We're also saved from the power of sin. That's in the present. It's not just that you can be forgiven of your sins you committed in the past, but right now, um, when, when uh, Luke... Um, gospel according to Luke and then Acts when he summarizes what the gospel is it's repent, receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the present power that helps us to overcome um, giving into sin over and over again and Abraham and Isaac and these guys in Genesis are pro promised a fruitful and multiplying life and that's in a physical way but Jesus promised us a, a fruitful life of bearing fruit, um, growing in his character being free of sin and so Penalty power, um, but in the future, the presence, saved from the presence of sin. And when you think about Abraham and Isaac, they're promised this land, but they don't own it yet. It's the promised land to him. And for us, the future promised land that um, God says we're going to get is a new creation where he wipes it clean um, of all of sin's disastrous effects. And we're going to live on this earth with new resurrected bodies in a new creation. Um, and that's the promised land God uh, gives for us as believers in Christ. So we're free from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. Those are the blessings in Christ we're given. And then third, the blessings come into Isaac's life by someone else's obedience. By someone else's obedience. And Abraham obeyed, and now Isaac gets blessed. And for us, Jesus obeyed. And now we get blessed. Um, Jesus purchased 
All of these for us. He makes all these possible. Because Jesus obeyed, he lived the perfect life, he died on the cross, resurrected, now he's ascended, um, sitting at the right hand of God as the king of God's kingdom. Um, he can bestow all these blessings on us because he paid for them. And I'm sure many of you have gone or have heard of um, window shopping. Um, and probably you do a lot of window shopping online now on like Amazon and kind of like look for things and you're like, ooh, that'd be nice if I had it. Ooh, that'd be nice if I had it. And we put it on our little Amazon wish list, hope somebody stumbles across it one day and just, you know, buy something from us. Um, but window shopping in the like the old sense was you're walking down the street and shops have stuff in their windows that are supposed to attract you in there. And you might look at something and be like, man, that'd be a sweet leather jacket if I could buy it. But you never even walk into the shop because you know um, you're, you can't even afford it. You can never afford what's on the price tag. And so it's called window shopping because you just see it, you would like it, but you don't go in to even think about getting it. And the greatest gift that God could ever give us is himself. But we've hurt that relationship. We've said no to God, and that damages it. Um, and we've worked, even have worked against his purposes. And so what we need is we need to be freed from the penalty of our sins. We need to be freed from the power of it. We need a future that's going to be free from the presence of it. But if we're going down the shop window, uh, seeing this in the shop window, we're like, oh, cool, free from all these things. Or just put the salvation, call these salvation, save from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. Salvation, we could see it in the window, but we'd look at the price tag and be like, I'm just window shopping. I could never go in the shop and afford that thing that I want. Because the price on it is... A perfect life. Um, that's what God says. If you want to buy this, you have to exchange a perfect life for it. And if we want forgiveness, someone needs to pay um, for our sinful life with their perfect life. It's an exchange. The perfect life gets exchanged for our forgiveness, for our freedom from the power of sin, for a, a future free from his presence. And no, we could never uh, live that perfect life. We just usually would move on and never purchase. But Jesus came and lived that perfect life and he exchanged it for our sinful life so we could purchase us salvation that we could never get. He paid for all of our wrongs, all of our sins, all the times that we said no to God. And now by his obedience, we receive um, the blessing of a relationship with God and salvation from our sin. And so here's a truth summarize uh, how it applies to us as Christians. Know that Jesus fully pays for the priceless gift salvation. Jesus fully pays for the priceless gift of salvation. Jesus fully pays for the priceless gift of salvation. And the gospel that, the, that Jesus preached was the good news that forgiveness is available. Relationship with God is available. Freedom from sin is available. That was his good news that captives can go free from sin. And he also said God is going to pay for it all. It's free. You know, big capital letters. Free and think about what we feel when we get something for free, like a silly Starbucks drink. Like we feel all these things, and it's like, man, what what has Jesus purchased for us um, that is now free for us? But it's so easy to relate to this gift wrongly, because like Esau, we'll go through Esau, Jacob, and Isaac. Like Esau, we can be unaware of the value. Like Esau, we can be unaware of the value. Because Esau was willing to trade the promises and the privileges and the purposes of God in his life for a bowl of hot beans. Like, doesn't that just it can seem so silly to us? 
And we're like, how in the world could he do that? It's like he trades it for a bowl of soup, and it's not even that great of a bowl of soup. Lentils. I don't even know what a lentil is. It's a little bean thing. It's like, why that? It would be nice if it was some sweet beef stew, but lentils. Anyway, sorry, I got distracted by the lentils. But we wonder how it could be so silly. But then you think about our life. And what is our birthright as God's children of being able to live for him, of having constant access to him, of being able to have forgiveness, of living for a purpose um, that he gives us that's beyond ourselves. And so often we trade our birthright for a bowl of hot beans. We, we'd rather scroll Facebook or binge Netflix or flip between all the sports games. And that's just thinking about media. What are all the, the categories where we trade our birthright as children of God, um, where we could be living for Him in connection with Him, living f- free from the power of sin and looking forward to the, its presence. And there's this famous quote by C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. And he says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And Lewis is using his English language. Holiday at the sea means vacation at the sea. So he's like, this kid's offered, like, you can go on vacation over at the sea at this awesome place, hanging on the beach at a resort. And they're like, no, I'm a little busy playing with my mud pies in the slum. Please, you know, don't bother me. And he says, we're far too easily pleased. And the opposite, we sometimes think, well, God, is, it's easy to think this, that God's kind of this party pooper that wants us to follow all these rules and, you know, just subdue all your desires, don't find them fulfilled. And Lewis is saying, yes, Lewis is saying, our desires are not too strong, but too weak. He's saying we're far too easily pleased because God offers us so much and we so often undervalue it um, like Esau undervalues it. And, so, and then secondly, Jacob. Like Jacob, we can be unaware that it's free. We, we relate to the gift wrongly by being like Esau, unaware of its value. But then like Jacob, we can be unaware that it's free. Because Jacob lives up to his name. He grasps his brother's heel and tries to pull him down so he can get the birthright. He's like, I'm seeing, you know, at least Jacob is valuing the blessings. He's like, but I'm going to pull my brother down. I'm going to work my way and scheme my way over um, to get into these blessings um, in my own way. And so he has this very, like, transactional view of God. I'm going to do this thing, and then God's going to give me stuff. And it's so easy for us to have this transactional view of God of, like, you know, it's up to my obedience and my right prayers. And if I do the right things, God is going to give me the things that I want. Um, but our relationship with God is a lot more complex than that. Because think about your relationship, if you're a parent with your kids or kids with your parents, your relationship is much more complex than just like, oh, I just ask for things and my parent gives them to me. Or much more complex than I just obey and then my parent gives me everything that I want. It's much more complex than that. And God has bigger desires for us than just to give us everything I want. And God will withhold our wants in order to give us what we truly need. And he has this long view of our, of our life. And so often we have this short view, like, God, I want this pain taken away. Or, God, I want this given to me. And you think about parents. Parents withhold 
things from their kids because they know there's a greater thing that their kids need to learn and need to grow into uh, or whatever it is, X, Y, and Z. And we can so often have um, just this transactional view and forget God's not a genie. Uh, he's not a vending machine. We just press buttons and get things. He's not Santa Claus. Uh, he's a parent. He's a father who parents us. And that means it's a complex relationship where he sometimes withholds what we want in order to give us what we truly need. And even his commitment to discipline us is a good gift. That's what Hebrews 12 says. It says any child who isn't disciplined um, is like a, a basically a kid that's been abandoned and ignored. And God's discipline of us when we're going astray and he does things to lovingly get us back on path, that's a good gift from him because he's trying to save us from a horrible path um, of self-destruction. That's God's good gift to us. And if you, you're a parent, you know that you didn't discipline your kids because you don't love them. You discipline them because you do love them, because you want them to learn and grow and be on the right path. And we need to not have a transactional view of God as a father, but as a giver. Um, because even when our kids are imperfect, um, still give them things. You know, we think we kind of like want to bail out a bailout God. Like every time I get in trouble, I just want God to bail me out. And it's like, well, maybe sometimes God will let us sit in the prison cell to think about it a little bit. And yet, uh, God does often bail bail us out because God is gracious. And so, if you're a parent you're, and your kid gets thrown in jail. Um, you're probably not first back and be like, yeah, let's just let him sit in there for a while unless there's been like 20 years of something and it's all culminating in this. You're probably going to say, yeah, I'm going to bail them out and, and get them out of there because I am gracious and I love them and I'm generous. Um, but here's, Jacob has this problem. He's unaware that the, these blessings come to him are free. And there's this quote um, in this book called God's Lavish Grace and it says this, Beware the serious danger trying to find your ultimate security and identity in anything other than the wonder that Jesus loves you and has chosen you for himself. And we can find our ultimate security and identity in lots of things. How well I obey, how well I pray, how much I read my Bible, how much I come to a a church worship gathering, how much I give. Um, But there's this one of the things I thought of, if I there's kind of like, if you get this pay it forward thing where the person in line in front of you paid for your thing, it's almost like there's like this surprise, like, really, like, that could, like, even just getting a $5 drink at Starbucks, whatever, paid for, that could be all that you need to turn a horrible morning around, or a horrible day around, because it's just a surprise, this delight, this joy, and it's like, wow, I just got something for totally free from this person who was just paying for it themselves, and you think about salvation coming to us, and this quote says, the wonder that Jesus loves you and has chosen you for himself. So we might ask, uh, well, how do we enjoy this gift? Because with this free gift of salvation, because, like, okay, it can kind of seem like theoretical and out there, like, great, like you're talking about all these things in the Bible teaches, but how do I enjoy it in my day-to-day life? How do I feel all these things about God saving me from the penalty power and presence of sin? Um, And that's kind of like, well, this is what Isaac needed to learn because he's failing to live in light of this great blessing that he's given. And so it's very simple. How do we enjoy the free gift of salvation? And it's these two simple practices, confession and forgiveness. Confession and forgiveness. Because if we fail to confess what we've done wrong, if we can fail to confess our sin, 
how we've wronged God and what we deserve for it, we'll be unaware of the price tag that salvation cost. We'll just take it for granted or ignore it. Like, well, I'm kind of entitled to this. Um, or it didn't cost God that much. Or you'll think, well, I was just short of the price tag and God kind of covered, you know, chart, helped me with the last few bucks. And unless we're confessing what, how much, how far we are from a perfect life, which is what's on the price tag, and we'll never really be thankful for how much it costs. And on the other side, if we fail to receive forgiveness, we will work and scheme for the gift when it's free. If we fail to receive forgiveness, we'll work and scheme for it. We'll fail to see it as free. We'll work and scrape by uh, to someday hopefully um, get it. But there's a, a real, everyday, present enjoyment um, how do we, like, every day enjoy the forgiveness God has given us instead of just kind of breezing it by? Um, and here's, this is something I started at the beginning of the year, and I've kind of float, been floating in and out of it, and I'll probably have it as a growth goal for next year, but I just wanted to learn, um, grow in my appreciation of grace. That's really what this is all about. So how do we confess um, when I read a passage in the Bible, or at the end of every day, the beginning of a day, tell God, you know, here's what I did, that I know is something you didn't want me to do, and then say, here's what I deserve for it. That's one of the hardest parts, is saying to, feeling the weight of you know, me not loving Katie. What do I deserve for that? It can be easy to just breeze over it, like, oh, you know, that's just fine. And it's like, no, God says I'm supposed to love my wife. He just loved this church. And so now what happens when I just blatantly say no to God and hurt another person? Like, what do I deserve for that? So that's how you confess, what did I do, and what do I deserve for it? And then receiving forgiveness, say, Jesus, thank you for paying for that thing that I deserve. You may wonder, like, how does God respond when we approach him like this? And a word that's been helping me recently to describe grace is God is eager. He is eager to grant forgiveness. He is eager to say, like, I forgive you. He's not going to make us beg for it. Like, you look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The guy goes off, blows his inheritance, um, and comes back, he's like, I gotta, I gotta say sorry to my dad. Um, like, I've really messed this up. Even before we get to this house, the dad is a picture of the father, God, the father's love for us. He runs out to his son, throws his arms around him, and is kissing him, and is, is just so excited that his son is home. And you think about that. At any time that you need to go to God for forgiveness, he's not sitting there being like, okay, well, apologize good enough. You know, okay, maybe, you know. I'm going to let you sit in it a little bit longer. No, he is just eager to wrap his arms around us, embrace us, and shower his love, his forgiveness, and his mercy, and his grace on us. He's eager. He wants to run to you. And heaven says, anytime a sinner repents and seeks God for forgiveness, there's rejoicing in heaven. There's, God is just so eager to give us forgiveness. And there's no reason for him to hold back because it's already been completely paid for. It's free. Why would, you know, it's just sitting there. Why would God be like, you know, I'd like you to do a little more to pay for this. No, it's fully paid for. So he just wants to give it out and pay it out. And so if you think about us living in light of this forgiveness, um, what would it look like you when know, we talk about our community practices of a family of servant messengers? And what would it look like to be a family eager to give? What would it look like to be servants eager to give? What would it look like to be messengers eager to give? And you think about, um, we've never seen this list. We can't really go over it very much, but and it's kind of small, I suppose. I'll work on that. But this is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. 
And the fruit of the Spirit comes when the Spirit helps us understand the free gift of salvation given to us. You know, we wrote some of these up here. Now, what will, when we understand this free gift, the price tag attached to it, how much is valued, what are we going to have? Love for that person giving it. We're going to have this joy. And uh, like Shane was saying, well, the love, we're going to have a love for them. We're going to have a love for other people. We're like, wow, I'm gonna, I want to pay it over to other people. And if we're eager to give, we want to give patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness to other people and be self-controlled in how we talk about people and how we interact with them and how we treat them. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life as we're confessing and receiving forgiveness. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry telling us um, this is what this gift of salvation means. And as we leave here, um, I just kept thinking, what would, how would this change Isaac's life? And the pay it forward thing was one of the examples I could think of. And so you know, just try to imagine yourself you know, in that drive-thru, come up to pay, and they're like, it's already been paid for. And you come up to God, same thing, like, I want salvation, here I am to put, it's already been paid for. You know, how does that change how we feel uh, toward God, how we feel in our life? And even think about, um, you know, we, when I find something free, like a good deal, I want to tell other people about it. If it's available to them, I want them to get in on it. And that's how we go as messengers. Like, I want other people to get in on this. Like, it's just free. Like, God's eager to give it to you. Just go ask him for it. And so we're called to live as a family servant messengers who both show and tell the world about our gracious, generous giver of a Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the free gift of salvation, the free gift of forgiveness. I thank you that we don't have to beg you for it. We don't have to work for it. You're eager to give it to us. You're eager to pour it out on us. So do you help us, Lord, to live in light of your generosity, your eagerness, um, to forgive us, to free us from sin, and how you're eager to give us the future you promised to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.